Grace and peace to you. Great to be with you again in the assembly of the saints. Thank you, Jim, for the songs. Just a brief word here, if you glanced at your bulletin yet, and I want to thank Enola for her work on this. I think we got it right. I think we did. Um, Ukraine is undergoing a uh, purge, if you will, of their communist past. And they're doing a lot of things, but one of the things that affects us, at least right now, is they're changing the names of things that had anything to do with communist figures from history that uh, had, uh, had anything to do with their history. So uh, they actually changed the name of the city over there that our church is in. It was Nepopetrovsk, as you know, the tongue twister. Now you can all say it. It's Nipro. It's Nipro right here on the front. However, it's no longer Artem Street where the congregation meets. And I can't even remember this one yet. I'm working on it. It is Sechevyk Streltsov. Okay? That's the new name of the street where the congregation is that we support. And then uh, where Slava is. And then the other congregation over there is on Alexandra Polya. Used to be Kirova. So those are the reasons those changes are there, and I just wanted to point those out to you to uh, understand uh, Enola didn't make a big mess up there, okay? <laughs> that, they, that is correct. They're, they're making changes over there. So keep our brothers and sisters in Ukraine in your prayers. There's a lot of turmoil there. They, you know, we think we have trouble with our government and corruption. Well... They've got it in spades over there, as we would say, and they're still trying to get things, the ship are righted, and so it's just still a mess. Besides, uh, Putin over there is still playing his games. So uh, please pray for our, our churches over there. Jim, I appreciate the songs. Uh, sing me a song about Jesus. We love to sing about Jesus, and we should. He is our Savior, our Lord, our King. But we have to be reminded from time to time, <clears throat> why did he come? Why did he have to come? That's because of our sin. Sin will take you further than you expected to go. Sin will keep you longer than you expected to stay. And sin will cost you more than you expected to pay. I wish I'd said that, but I didn't. Sin has remarkable power, incredible power. It has devil-backed power. And that's why we needed a Savior to come to overcome it, to rescue us from sin. Because on our own, we can't beat it. We can't. We have to admit that. Sin has so much power, it can cause a person to destroy their own life and they won't even realize they're doing it. That's how much power sin has. Proverbs 30, 
And this gives a, a little insight here. Of course, we're going to look at some other scriptures. Of the power of sin. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Sexually immoral, a covenant breaker, despising her husband, disregarding God's design for marriage, total disregard for things that are holy and virtuous and good, a very casual view of sin and transgression, Sin causes her to say, I've done nothing wrong. That's the power of sin. And this just isn't about adultery here. This is about any sin that a person is caught up in. When sin gets a hold of you, it will cause you to say, I'm not doing anything wrong. Not only is sin an unpopular subject, it's never been popular. You never want to go hear the guy that says, we're going to talk about sin tonight. Oh, well, maybe we'll do something else. But in today's culture, sin is a non-subject. There's, people just don't believe in sin, wrongdoing, transgression, because of the nature of thing. You know, I'm, you know some people do, obviously, but... The general culture out there says, don't judge me. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me where I'm off or where I need to change. That's the way people think these days. Of course, the word of God, as we have it, speaks volumes of sin, doesn't it? And it says, obviously, that God has the right to judge us, right? All through the scripture. God says this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And we see various examples of people who were in sin and they paid a price when they didn't repent. They paid a great price. Here's a little thought to remember. When you talk to someone and they say, you know, don't tell me about that. I can make my own rules or whatever. Well, you know, if there's no sin, there's no grace. There's no sin, there's no grace. If you assert up and down, jump up and down, say, I'm not doing anything wrong, everything's okay, guess what? Jesus can't save you. You can't see and confess and repent of your sin. That's why he came. Psalm 36, this is going to be our core scripture, so keep your finger there, your bookmarker, and we'll keep going back to this. But these first four verses here, Psalm of David, gives a good picture of the power of sin. And as you, as we go through this, we all need to look at ourselves because sin has a way of, of creeping in and getting a little toehold on us, you know? It's the way it starts. And whether it's in your own life or the life of someone you love, 
It's readily seen when sin is having an effect. You can see it. That's why we have these scriptures. I'm going to read all this, and then we're going to work our way through this. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. So David speaks of the ungodly or the wicked, depending upon your version. It's God's assessment, and as always, there are two groups of people. There's ever and always two groups. In this case, it's the righteous and the wicked, or the ungodly. It's the saved or the sinner. So the question for each one of us is, which one am I? Which one am I? Which one am I in my heart? Am I a righteous person trying to pursue what God wants me to do in all things all the time? Or am I allowing sin in my life at different points in different situations? And then the other question to ask is, what would God say? How would God evaluate you or me? We need to, from time to time, take the self-examination of our own lives. He says here, there's no fear of God with a transgressor. That's probably where it starts. I don't have on your list there, Proverbs 1.7. Remember that? It's in Proverbs in more than one place. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Remember that? When there's no fear of God, there's no wisdom. And we go down the wrong path. There's no respect for God, no reverence, no awe, nothing. God is maybe just there in their mind, but I don't care what he says. I don't care what he expects of me. I don't care that he sent Jesus to save me. There's no fear of God. No fear of retribution in the end. That's part of a sinner. That's when you know sin has a hold of somebody. There's no fear of God. It's a rejection of the evidence, an elevation of self, a numbing of the conscience, an avoidance of truth. And when there is no fear of God, the gate is wide open to any and every evil, and certainly to the loss of a soul. So we need to have that fear, that healthy fear of God. He is our creator, our lawgiver, and our judge. Praise God, he sent Jesus, he loves us, he wants us to be saved, but on the other hand, he is God. And he is not to be trifled with. You don't mess around with God. Verse 2. Verse 2 is a little bit difficult 
because as my footnote says here in the scripture, the Hebrew is uncertain. Every once in a while you see that in the Old Testament. But it starts out with, for it flatters him in his own eyes. So we'll look at that first, and then we'll see what the whole thing is about. But you know, flattery is such a cheap thing. Hebrews 12.1, let's turn over there. And this just shows us, I think, how easily sin can get a hold of us. You know, we, I, most of them, when somebody says something nice about it, we really like that, you know. Whether it's true or not, we want to hear something good about ourselves. And so we just, we love that. The Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us or ensnares us. I don't think we realize how easily sin can grab a hold of us, could get that, that toehold. But it can. It's just when we think we're invulnerable to sin, that we're walking on the top of the clouds spiritually, that old Satan, he is working a, working a deal on you. He's got the next one coming down the road. That's the way he works. As I said here, in this whole verse here, the Hebrew is kind of uncertain. And here's what I think it means. He is flattered in his own eyes, even when he discovers there's sin in him, okay? Or someone else points out the sin that he has, that he doesn't care. Because he doesn't hate it, that he loves it, that he's a sinner. I think that's what this means. He's flattered because, hey, look at me. I'm sinning and nothing's happening to me. Everything's good in my life. Even though I'm doing these things, God's not coming down on me. He's not shooting a lightning bolt out of the cloud. I'm just good. I think that's the gist here of what this verse 2 is all about. And what a horrible place to be when your own sin doesn't bother you. Your conscience is truly seared. Either that or you're purely ignorant about what sin is and the consequences. This is part of sin's power, you see. It grasps and twists and changes your heart so you think, Nothing is wrong. That's the power of sin. We think it's no big deal. We might say, oh, yeah, it's fun. I'm having fun. Everybody's doing it. Nothing's happening to me, like I said. Or what would happen if, my goodness, I admitted that I had sinned. I mean, look at, you know, who I am. What would people think of me? Again, the power of sin. Hebrews 3. What's the writer say there? 12 and 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, 
so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Deceitfulness. I forget his name, Don, the minister that called the devil the great duper. Yeah. But I'll give him credit for that, even though I don't remember his name. But I was thinking along that line, he is the dean of deception, the master of manipulation, and the wizard of wiles. You cannot out-trick the devil. Don't even try. Just like you can't out-think God. When you're caught up in sin, you've got to say, oh, he did it to me, and I've got to confess it and turn to God. That's the answer. But so many will not humble themselves and just accept that the devil got me. He got me that time. And he's had me for a long time. Maybe. Unless you're grounded in truth, firm in Christ Jesus, the devil will spirit you away with his lies. It's the power of sin. Back to Psalm 36, verse 3. It's an ugly picture, you see. And I often wonder how God, you know, through the ages, through history, even as we read in the scripture, how it must hurt his heart to see people turn to sin, hurt themselves, hurt other people, turn away from him. That, you know, it's just, must make him cry, be in anguish. When he talked with Cain about killing Abel, he says, you know, sin's at the door. You need to rule over it. And then in Noah's generation, people are so wicked all the time. He says, I've got to get rid of them. I'm sure that was not a happy day for God, even though he knew he had to do it. And then, of course, he sent Jesus. and He was rejected, nailed to the cross because of sin. And sin was shown to be so terribly ugly because people killed their own God, their own Messiah. Didn't want him. Of course, God turned that all around for our good. Psalm 36, 3. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. This is often one of the first places where sin shows itself in what a, peop- what a person says and the way they talk. They like to speak lies, negative comments. They won't give you a direct answer. They deflect questions. They change the subject. They don't want to talk seriously about things. And then it moves to gossip and slander and talking about others, tearing them down, profanities, and even speaking against God and his Bible and his son. That's when you know a person is really in the grip of sin, when it comes out of their mouth. It says there, they cease to be wise and to do good. They have no desire to seek God's wisdom and the way to live their life according to God's ways. They're going to do it their own way. 
They don't want to be like God to do good things, to be a blessing to others. No desire to pursue the righteous life. Now, whether it's about truly wicked things that we're going to see here in our next passage in Mark, things that we see as being despicable, you know, like murder and rape and robbery and things like that, or whether some of these other things that we see just, you know, we kind of just slough them off. Jesus talks about envy and pride and foolishness. You know, there's still sin. And it still can cause you to lose your soul. Let's look there in Mark 7. If you want, when you go home, you can read from the beginning of the chapter and get the whole story where there was a discussion about, hey, Jesus, your disciples don't wash their hands and follow the tradition of the elders and, you know, before they eat. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you've got things that you've done. Uh, you put your traditions before the word of God. And so that's what he's talking about here. Verse 17, and then, you know, they were wondering about, well, are we defiled because we don't, you know, are we unclean because we don't wash our hands? When he had left the crowd, entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. He said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? He's talking about food, okay? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. This is where all that big long list in the Old Testament of unclean foods is gone. No longer valid. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, there it is, the corrupted heart, the heart that is grasped by sin, the heart that says, I have not sinned, I have no sin, the heart that doesn't care if it sins, proceed the evil thoughts. Wow, right there, thoughts. We all have evil thoughts from time to time. They just pop in there, you know? Fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And this is not the exhaustive list, as we know, with any of these lists. Sin has the heart. When these things are there, and this shows, it's what Jesus means, this shows in the life. It comes out in the life. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. The evil just comes out on a regular basis. It can't help it. Why? Because the heart is in the grasp of sin. It's all sin, and the person is in its grip. So that's the picture here. The person has ceased to be wise and try to do good. 
Their heart is corrupt. And they don't seek the ways of God. Let's go back to Psalm 36. It's a downer, isn't it? We don't like to think about it. It's hard. But it's our problem. It's our problem. It's what erects the barriers between us and God, causes us to harm ourselves, to hurt other people. And it's why Jesus came. So we have to fight against it. We have to recognize it in ourselves. That's why these passages are here. To look, to examine, to scrutinize. Lord, is there any sin in me? You know, David talked about that. We have that one song. Lord, you know, examine me. Examine me. We must be willing to do that. To root out the sin, whatever it is. The fourth verse, he plans wickedness upon his bed. Wow. Godly people pray in their wakeful moments. At least they try. The ungodly plans evil in his or hers. They can't sleep without evil being in their minds. And once again, go back to Mark 7. Not necessarily, hey, we're going to rob the bank tomorrow. But something that we might think is lesser, but it's not necessarily in God's eyes. It's still sin. Jesus said in John 8, 34, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Pitiful picture. A being, a person, a human being made in the image of God who should be joyfully serving their God, seeking to do good, walking with him day in and day out is a slave to sin doing vile deeds and hurting themselves. Just the opposite of why they were created. And then this last thought. He does not despise evil. Some translations have abhor or reject it. He doesn't hate evil. It's like it goes back to he doesn't fear God. When evil happens, you know, you, you read in the news or see on TV where you're talking about some of these horrible things going on these days, the murders, the rapes, all these ISIS atrocities, the sexual abuse of children, uh, overdose deaths, the starvations, whatever you want to say, all linked to sin one way or another. How does that affect you? Do you care about it? Or do you see that thing as something to abhor? That's horrible. That's wicked. That's evil. That hurts me in here. When you don't abhor evil, something's wrong. Something's very bad wrong. Especially then when you don't abhor it in yourself and you know it's there. 
We were not made for evil. We were made for good. The evil person is unmoved by such things. They couldn't care less. Doesn't bother them at all. That's wickedness. We see these things. You hear about them. That's terrible. So what is the outcome of all this? David doesn't take it to the end here. Look in Romans chapter 6. You know the end of the story. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Jesus just said this in other words in John 8. Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Obedience, of course, to God. So the end of sin is death. We know that. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says it over and over again. You can't escape it. It's God's decree. He doesn't want us to sin. It's a life away from God. The pictures of that, darkness, fire, eternal destruction, ultimately. But living a life is contrary to God and contrary to God's design for you. That you should be involved in doing good, helping others and being a blessing to others and bringing glory to your Creator. But the power of sin causes us to do other things. Wickedness, evil, harmful, leading to death. The answer. 1 Corinthians 15. You know the answer. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the answer. Why he came, as we said in the beginning. He is the one who defeated sin in the flesh, lived a perfect life. What do we do? We have to accept his sacrifice for us. We have to acknowledge we sin. I have sinned. And I need him for cleansing, for forgiveness. I need him to set my feet on the right path, to, to guide me through life. As we read again in 1 John 1, when we, we still sin, we know that. We've got to bring those sins back. We have to continue to repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I really messed up with that one. Sometimes we mess up a little bit, and sometimes we mess up big. But we must have the heart, the love for God, to confess, Lord, I sinned. Please forgive me. Sin is a powerful thing. It can get a hold of us can drag us down, can cause us to destroy ourselves. We need to have the courage, the moral courage to stand up and even look ourselves in the mirror sometimes, even someone else in the face and say, I have sinned and I need God's forgiveness. Maybe you're in that category this morning as a Christian. 
things in your life that you need to repent of, now's the opportunity. Right now, don't worry what people will think, only what God thinks. Come back to Christ. If you're not a Christian, now's the opportunity to get on the right path, to take advantage of that great sacrifice he made on the cross for you, that your sins might be forgiven, and you can begin to lead the kind of life that will bring glory to God. If you want to be baptized into Christ, we're ready to assist you. Please come while we stand and sing. <laughs>